Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Awakening Empty Nester podcast. We are so pleased you can join us in today's show. I am Michelle. And I am Mark, your host of this podcast, a show that was designed for you, the Awakening Empty Nester. In this series, we will be bringing you a whole range of inspiring insights, heart-filled stories and conversations with truly amazing people. People just like you. People who have navigated through their own challenges, lessons and opportunities. People who have transitioned to living a life of deeper experience, heart-filled contribution and consistent awakening and growth. Find out how they are all living with what we call a strong ECG life pulse. Let's discover more as we dive into this episode. Whether you're an empty nester or not, we trust you will enjoy today's show. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Awakening Empty Nester podcast. We are so grateful for your time today and are really looking forward to this conversation. We are recording this session on the 30th of April 2020 in a wonderful time in the world right now, an opportunity for reflection and to take time to remember who we are. Yes, hello my friends. I am really pleased and proud to have the opportunity to bring this episode to you. Why? Well, today we have an amazing conversation with one of my mentors, Mr. Eric Edmeads. Eric is an internationally recognized speaker, a film producer, and a serial entrepreneur. He is widely regarded as a long-time student of extraordinary living. All of his endeavors, including WildFit, Business Freedom, Inception Marketing, Speaker Nation, and his current project, Thrive Time, all point to adding value to business and personal life. Now, I came across Eric and more specifically WildFit when Michelle and I travelled to the US in September of 2018. We attended a coaching conference with Mind Valley, and you know, I'd heard of WildFit at the time and prior to the trip, but uh, I wasn't really fully across it. Well, at that event, I was exposed to more conversations with other coaches and WildFit coaches. What I was hearing was WildFit was making some really amazing transformations in people's lives. Now, that interested me because, well, as I shared in episode one of the Awakening Empty Nester podcast, I was a carer for 11 years uh, looking after my wife who was a cancer patient. And from everything that I was experiencing, witnessing and learning, I knew 100% that mindset, lifestyle and diet were the keys to health. And although I was immersed in personal development and attended many seminars, I was surrounding myself with amazing people and I tried different approaches. I had not found the answer for food and proper healthy nutrition. We will dive into this topic throughout today's episode, but in short, what I discovered was the WildFit is an amazing revolutionary program that has helped over 15,000 people in over 130 countries around the world change how they feel about food and in so doing made significant impact on their health, their well-being, longevity and ultimately their ability to really enjoy life. So I am very proud and humbled to have you on our podcast, Eric. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks very much for having me. Pleasure to be here. It's our pleasure, totally. So Eric, I've been... You know, I've been on the sidelines 
Mark has embarked on the WildFit program in, you know, with so much excitement. He's become a WildFit coach. But we want to talk to you about you, about who you are, how you came to be on this journey, you know, not only of WildFit, but of all the other endeavors. So you're in the Dominican Republic at the moment? I am. Yes. Is that where you were born and lived for most of your life? No, no. I'm actually originally from South Africa and more or less grew up in Canada. And I, since then, I've lived in a number of different... I lived in the UK for... I live in Ireland and England. And I've kind of... I'm one of those. I'm one of those. Uh, um, I'm a global citizen. <laughs> right. Okay. Tell us a bit, because I know there's a, a little bit about your, your father. Your father was part of the influence. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, um, my great-grandfather first was a, a, a fairly famous uh, zoologist, archaeologist, who had discovered the oldest homo sapiens skull in the world. And uh, my dad was always very interested in that stuff as well. My dad's been writing a very important book about human migration and human history. And um, so that, that really played a big part in my thought processes around uh, nutrition and around human evolution and that sort of stuff. So it's, yeah, that, 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 the family legacy is there. Wow. Beautiful. So tell us a bit more. How did WildFit come around? I know you had some of your own health challenges as well, and you were looking and searching for something to resolve some things. And we are just, if you can just give our listeners a brief summary, if you like, of how did WildFit come about? Well, I think it's easy to kind of put it in three phases. There was my own recovery which stimulated my, you know, my curiosity. I'd been sick for a long time and I turned it around with food and then I became fascinated with why doctors don't study food. No, no fault of doctors, but just the reality of medical education around the world today that you don't require any nutritional training to become a medical doctor. Yes. And so that kind of stimulated the initial curiosity and years of research. And then the next thing that happened was I became frustrated because I had I felt as though I had unlocked or uncovered certain nutritional principles that would help people recover from problems they were having and, um, and they wouldn't do it. You know, like I could sit with a friend and say, look, you want to lose weight, do this. You want, you have inflammation. This is what to do. You want to get your sex drive back, try this. And, but you know, they just wouldn't do it. They, they, they just wouldn't do it. And that irritated me that people could want something really badly and just not follow through. And so about six years ago, I went through a process of, um, looking at, you know, what we now call behavioral change dynamics, I looked at what actually triggers and motivates behavior and thought, how can I combine that with, um, with nutrition? And so six years ago, I was teaching business through businessfreedom.com and I decided to offer health as a sort of, you know, an additional product that people could buy if they wanted to have more energy. Mm-hmm. And I created this 90-day program, and it just worked. The first eight people transformed their lives. The next eight people transformed their lives. They started telling their friends. Then people started asking for it. And then one day, a guy did the program, and he was so excited. He goes, I want to tell my whole list about this. And I'm like, what do you mean your list? Like, what are you talking about? And he goes, hey, how come you don't have a website? I go, because it's a hobby. I mean, it's just a hobby. It's a, The only way you can buy it is if you know me. You have to come to my workshop on business, and then maybe, nope, he says you got to put up a website. And so about four years ago, we put up a website and all of a sudden like 200 people signed up in, in, a, in, a, like in about three days. It was like we sold 100 the year before and now 200 signed up in three days. And, um, and that was the beginning. And, and it just grew from there. You know, then uh, Mind Valley approached us uh, because the founder of Mind Valley Vision, Lakiani, he did the program and then he shared his pictures with his tribe and then 1,100 people signed up in about a week. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, we're at a point now where we've served 20,000 people in, 
I don't know, 130, 135 countries around the world. We've got about 200 certified coaches, as you know, you know, in different countries around the world. And it's one of the greatest honors. I, every single day, I receive letters from people about the transformation that they've been through and the pain they're not in anymore and the pleasure they're experiencing and the improved quality of life. And just, it, it just thrills me. It drives me. Yeah, it certainly is an amazing program. And, you know, it's, my journey has been one of those that, that I searched and searched and searched, tried all different things, and nothing seemed to work long term. Uh, you know, and since I was introduced to Wildfit and dove into that, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a remarkable program. But I, I really love the fact that it's the teaching, but also the mindset and the combination of the two is profoundly different from anything that I've tried and done before. And, you know, some of the clients that I've had the privilege of leading through the program have just had some massive changes. You know, one of my clients was a type 1 diabetic and he lost 8 kilos. He halved his insulin intake and he was also uh, ulcerative colitis, taking medication for that. Now he does not need to take that. So making massive, massive changes to his health trajectory in life. Just incredible. Just yesterday, I got a note from a woman and uh, publicly, she wrote it publicly on Facebook, but she had had uh, thyroid cancer about 30 years ago and went through a whole chemotherapy thing. And, and it caused a problem with her esophagus with some, I think, fibroid type growths. And so every several months, she has to go have her esophagus stretched, mm. and, which I can't even imagine. Okay. No. And they told her that she would have to do that for the rest of her life and that one day they wouldn't be able to do it anymore and then she'd have to be on a feeding tube. And uh, with COVID, you know, she was really aware she was going to need to try to figure out how to get to a clinic where they can stretch it. But under lockdown, she wasn't sure she's going to be able to. And that was kind of scary. Imagine your throat slowly closing. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden, she realized she hadn't thought much about it. And she realized she was past her date for, for when she would normally go. And she hadn't even noticed because she was fine, because her throat is working because her esophagus has healed, something that she was told is absolutely not possible. And, um, and, and frankly, we hear stuff like that all the time. And I think it's not that the doctors are wrong when they say that. What they should be saying to people is, yeah, that's absolutely never going to be cured if you keep eating the way the food industry feeds you. Yes. Yeah. So tell us, tell us about the origins of the development of your the food, the nutrition. You know, How did you come to the learnings of what foods are right for us, which foods help, which foods, well, which are non-foods? You know, it was, it was, first of all, it was stimulated by an idea and then it was about research. And the, the, the idea that was stimulated was I was, I was, I do a lot of wildlife photography and I was headed down to South Africa to do a photo shoot for Virgin Atlantic Airways. And on the plane flying down, I was reading their magazine because I was about to do a story for it. So I wanted to see, you know, kind of what they like, how they like things to be structured. Mm-hmm. And there was a story in there about uh, the early days of putting circuses in zoo, or sorry, putting elephants in circuses in zoos. Mm-hmm. And um, they were talking about, you know, they'd, they'd go get the elephant. It would live six or seven years, maybe 10 if they were very lucky, but that was enough to recover their investment. So it was okay. But then it started coming out that elephants could live like 70 years in nature. So all these zoo and circus owners became, this is in the late 1800s, they started becoming quite concerned about how they could inc- improve their return on investment, get the elephants to live longer. And the article went on to describe the, the analysis they did of comparing the wild elephants with the captive, di- the captive elephants. And they kept referring to the elephant's captive diet versus the elephant's wild diet. And frankly, that irritated me because it was grammatically incorrect. 
the elephants don't have a wild diet. They have a diet. Mm. And, and that's when it hit me. The word diet has been expropriated. It's, it's, it's been bastardized. It's no longer used in accordance with its real definition. And that happens to the English language sometimes. Language meanings morph over years. But what diet has always meant and still means today, if you're talking about zoology, if you're talking about nature, it means way of life. Mm. You know, so we know what an elephant's diet is or a lion's diet or a python's diet or a or a parrotfish. We know what their diet is by studying them and watching them and we can see what their diet is. And so this article kept talking about the wild diet and I was like, no, it's the elephant diet. Mm -hmm. And it hit me like a blinding light on that flight just off the coast of, of West Africa. Oh my God, every organism on earth has a naturally evolved diet, which means they have a naturally evolved capacity for processing certain foods and naturally evolved nutritional requirements. Mm -hmm. And if that's true, then humans have to be in that as well. And, um, and that, that's when I started really digging into what we might now call nutritional anthropology. Yeah. Did you go and live with the, uh, the Hadza tribe and study more about that? Well, you know, live, live with is probably an overstatement, but I definitely have gone to stay with them many, many times over the last 10 years. And I have done some extended stays. I was just with them seven weeks ago before this all happened. And um, it was absolutely fascinating. I took a bunch of wild fit coaches with me and we got to meet them and hang out with them. And then I stayed on for another week with them with some friends of mine for a little documentary that we're shooting. And I, um, I've, been, I, I've just learned so much. Um, I don't want to pretend that the Hadza uh, represent directly what we, you know, the way we've always lived. I, I just want to suggest that their lifestyle is about as close to our ancestors' lifestyle as we're ever going to get without a time machine. And so... It's really given us a view of what it's like when you actually have to move every day to meet your basic nutritional requirements and how meals are done and what schedule people eat on and, and so on. And it was, it, it was, it's always fascinating and it was no less fascinating this last trip. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. I was, I was hoping to, to join you on that trip, but unfortunately I couldn't make it work from my end. So I will certainly uh, get there one day because that would be an amazing, amazing experience. I mean, Michelle and I have always spoken about going to Africa. We've travelled a fair bit. We haven't made it to that continent yet, mm. um, but it's certainly well up there. So, uh, yeah, it'd be pretty cool to, to experience not just Africa, but certainly get immersed in into the Hudson tribe. That would be like one of those lifelong experiences yeah, that you just put up on the wall that'd be pretty amazing so one of the things that that has really come to play and we're seeing it a lot i believe at the moment particularly with this whole covid stuff is the manipulation of media and marketing and so on and we see that very much in the in the food industry and 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 so on so Talk to us a little bit from your observation about that. How, how do people, how do our listeners here get a full understanding on what's going on with food, nutrition, marketing, those sorts of things? Well, I think the first place to start is that um, you know, it's really easy to blame all the big conglomerates and stuff, and I think we should blame them, but we have to take a step back from that too. And we have to think of it this way, that if... 40,000 years ago, the three of us were out walking in the bush and we returned to our camp from, you know, last season that we haven't seen in a few months. And we noticed that there were plants growing there. And we're like, wait a minute. Isn't that where we threw all the plant waste before? Do you mean we can grow food? Oh my God. Like that's the moment that everything begins to change. The moment our ancestors said, oh my God, we can actually influence this. And at that point, you know, I think that they would have been faced with some choices as they began to learn to grow food. They would have 
they would have chosen which foods to grow. And I'm thinking that when they were given a choice between growing a bitter leafy vegetable that they don't enjoy so much versus a sweet fruity type thing, you know, that, you know, so even at that early stage, we probably started messing things up simply because we followed our taste buds. And remember, our taste buds evolved the craving for sugar and fat and salt and stuff because those things are very rare in nature and we needed to be motivated to go get them. But then all of a sudden, we started being able to get them whenever we wanted to. And that was the beginning of the problem. But where we are today is that it's not simply that we're choosing badly. It's that the food industry is manipulating our biochemistry and psychology. And they're doing it because, well, they have to make a profit. Any marketing consultant will tell you, you want to improve your profits. There's a few ways you can do it. One, get more clients. Two, get your clients to buy more. Three, get your clients to buy other things. You know, and, and, and I, of course, you could also try raising the price and, of course, pushing costs down. So then you start thinking of, okay, well, how can we get more clients if we're a food manufacturer? Well, you know, advertising, marketing, try to get them in, you know, but at the end of the day, everybody's eating food. So it's kind of, now we're competing against other foods. So now what are we going to do? We're going to make our food taste better. Well, what do people like? Sugar, fat, and salt. So it becomes a race to the fatty, the sugar, fatty, saltus thing. And then, then we start taking our profits and figuring out and doing research how to make our foods addictive so that they don't start buying somebody else's food. We want them buying our food. And we also want to make sure that they buy more than they need and eat more than they need. They gotta, they, we want them to eat twice as much as they need because we've got to boost our profits. And so over time, that research has led to manipulative ad campaigns. It's led to lobbying at the governmental level to change regulations and, and to influence educational systems. And of course, it's also led to the integration of addictive substances in the food to remove your sense of freedom, to remove your choice from the equation. And so things like caffeine and sugar are designed to take your freedom away. And so that's what the food industry has been doing. Not because any one person in the food industry is evil, but because they have shareholders to serve. And so they're doing the best they can to serve those shareholders, but at the cost of public health. Yes, the, the addiction is definitely rife, you know. I mean, even before we did WildFit, we didn't even know we were addicted, you know, and it wasn't until we did the program that we realized, oh, my gosh, you know, the, the internal conversations that we're having, you know, the food devil and the food angel talking to each other or fighting with each other <laughs> about what foods I should put in my mouth. So it's definitely a big awareness, a big awakening for us for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that I've, one of the key things that I've learned is that seasonal eating and getting to understand the, the best approach to, you know, combining good nutrition, high volume nutrition, good nutrition, and then still having an occasional or natural sugar, let's call it a treat, it's not the appropriate word, but... But eating seasonally, I think, is has been the biggest thing for me. It's been the biggest shift for me to understand that through the evolution and, and so on that we are influenced by, then bring that back into play rather than eating this stuff all the time, every time. I mean, ice cream was my thing. Ice cream was the thing that I would have every night of the week. And yeah. my God, now I can't even touch the stuff. I can't even look at it. So, yeah, it was one of those amazing shifts for me. Well, you know, one of the things that we've done, uh, you know, that we've really worked on in, in the program, as you know, is recognizing people will ultimately eat what they want. And that's why diets fail. Like one thing I'm really clear about, nobody has ever failed at a diet, but the diet has often failed them. And, and so what we wanted to do is create a nutrition program that wouldn't fail people. And the only way you're going to do that is not to tell them to eat what they don't want. It's to change what they want. Yes. And so 
by changing your want for ice cream, we've given you freedom. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's the key, isn't it? That's the appropriate word is freedom. That's what everyone wants in whatever area of their life, be it nutrition, be it just living, we all want some sense of freedom. So, um, yeah, it's an amazing thing to it's bring true. it into into uh, the diet and so on. Mm-hmm. So, And I love too that once you get the concept of what healthy is, when I heard your quote, it's I think it says, nothing tastes as good as healthy feels. That shifted something in me because I didn't associate health with taste. But when I can associate those two, then I can choose the appropriate foods to bring that health. So I love that quote that you that you gave us. It's a, it's a nice reminder because, you know, very often we're giving up our health and our future, even the, our lifespan to, you know, our tongues because our tongue wants to have some taste experience and our emotions want to have that experience. And, and so it really is a good reminder to say, wait a second now, how good is this going to taste and how long is it going to taste good for? Because I think, I think that feeling healthy lasts longer and is more important to me. Yeah, absolutely. So our, our listening base is empty nesters, 40 to 60-year-old plus people of our, our vintage, let's call it. And I know you're in that bracket too, my friend. Is, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> is um, a, a fair span of life on this planet and lots of habits and lots of rituals and so on. Some of them not good, some of them good. What would you say to somebody that's never been exposed to this sort of information that is in this age group that has these ingrained um, habits? Well, you know, I think one of the things I'd focus on is what, what quality of life do you want for the second half? You know, um, the fact of the matter is, is that most people uh, spend the second half uh, taking medications, having surgeries, visiting the doctor, you know, uh, suffering their way through. You know, it, it, most people spend a very rough second half of their life on earth and it doesn't have to be that way. And I can't guarantee... Anybody that wouldn't be that way, but I can definitely change the odds. And so can anybody. And I think that's really what we have to focus on is that, you know, as we get to that, whatever they call it, middle age category, it's like, you know, it never has it been more important in your life to eat properly and to get that stuff on on track. Because not only is the consequence painful for you, you know, not only is the consequence disastrous economically for society, because that's what it is. You know, when somebody, when somebody spends 20 years dying from cancer, they cost the system millions of dollars. I have to tell you, I have an unpopular feeling about universal healthcare. While on a level, I believe that everybody should have the right to a base level of healthcare. In other words, nobody should simply die because they couldn't get healthcare. I have another concern, and that is, would I buy car insurance from a car insurance company that sold me insurance at the same price that sold that 16-year-old boy with four speeding tickets? No, no, I don't want to pay the same rate. I don't want to pay the same rate because that person's likely to cause more damage. And that's kind of where I feel today is that, it, you know, there's so many reasons for us to want to turn this around. And the one is that it's socially conscious. You know, when somebody chooses sugar, when somebody chooses junk, when they, when they choose, uh, you know, non-productive foods, they're not just choosing for themselves, they're choosing for society. By buying it, you're making sure they'll put it back on the shelf. By buying it, you're spreading the you know, potential for, for disease and difficulty in society and adding to the burden on the healthcare system. So you know, on one level, I ask them to look at their own life experience. On the other level, look at the burden on society. But how about one more? What, what are your last 20 years going to be like for your family? Exactly. Yeah. You know, think about that. Like, you know, I saw this woman on Twitter the other day and it just broke my heart. 
but she was responding to somebody saying, you know, you should really be thinking about your diet and all that kind of stuff. And she wrote back and she goes, don't presume to tell me how I live. I drink Coca-Cola every day and I have my Twizzlers every day and I'm never going to stop doing that. I don't care what you tell me. I don't care how you comment on my body. I'm just going to keep doing that. And what I want to do is say to her, okay, you do that, but do not be in my healthcare plan. I don't want to be in the same hospital system with you where you're going to end up taking resources and all that kind of stuff. Like it's, 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 a, you know, we now, and by the way, COVID-19 has only woken us up to how serious this issue is. Mm-hmm. You know, we are absolutely clear now that something like 90% of the severe hospitalizations and, 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 and mortality, you know, is when COVID is combined with a lifestyle disease. And that's scary. You know, we got to turn that around. And, and by the way, the real deadly combination COVID plus lifestyle disease plus plus 60. Yeah, it's certainly interesting times, isn't it? It's, uh, it's a real it wake-up call for a lot of people. Let's, let's hope that when all this is over, people remain awakened to the importance of keeping their bodies healthy, keeping their immune systems high, you know, the working high and, um, and don't go back to their old habits. Well, I think one really important message with that is that anything that you do for two or three weeks in a row um, with focus is going to become a habit. And so the question is, what is it that people are doing during lockdown, but creating habits? And they're going to have a tough time breaking those habits later. I was just shocked to go to grocery stores and find that all the canned stuff, all the frozen stuff, all the ice cream, all the pizza, all that stuff was gone. But the produce was still sitting there. The fresh meat was still sitting there. And it's like, wow. Yeah. First of all, these people are just opening themselves up for a terrible COVID experience. And secondly, what what state is their body going to be in when this thing is over? And we got to help people turn that around. Absolutely. So what's next for you? You've got a lot of projects happening at the moment. You've got uh, you know, many things on your plate. What's the next experience for you? Well, you know, it's, it's hard to say that right now. You know, with, with the lockdown being how it is, you know, obviously I don't have any travel plans anytime soon. Um, but I, I, right now I'm working on our Thrive Time show and I'm very happy with the direction that's going and we're helping people in a big way by making that happen. Um, I'm in the editing process now of a book called Post Diabetes, which is a book that makes the argument that type 2 diabetes is preventable, reversible, and that we shouldn't even think of it like a disease anymore. We should think of it like an injury and uh, that we can heal from. And so that's really exciting for me. And, uh, and you know, also, um, you know, we're launching a number of um, online you know, like speaking presentation skills and digital program creation workshops because we're good at it. You know, our WildFit program is a, one of the highest rated programs in the industry and, and, and has a completion rate that's unlike just about anybody else's digital programming. And so we're now going to be teaching people how to do that stuff through Speaker Nation because lots of people have phenomenal knowledge in their heads and they just don't know how to get it out into a program. Yes. I'm interested in the Thrive Time that you talked about. What is, tell our, please tell our listeners what that's about. You know, all that happened was I'm sitting here realizing the abundance I'm living in and the safety I'm living in and the, and the, you know, I'm here and I've got my studio and what have you. And, you know, for years I've had fans asking me for a podcast and a, or, or a YouTube show or something like that. And I've just never, I'm on planes all the time. I don't want to do it. And now that I wasn't getting on planes, I made the decision I'm doing it. And so we launched Thrive Time about three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we've shot now 30 episodes. We've had some phenomenal guests. We've had Daniel Priestley from the UK talking about reinvention and recession. We've had Dr. Ara Supia from uh, Florida, who's a, uh, a surgeon and a doctor on the front lines in the ER, also a sports, a sports doctor um, on the Golf Channel. 
you know, we've had Amber Trueblood talking about parenting. We've had Dr. Shafali also on parenting, Dr. John Gray about uh, relationships. And it's just been a real like privilege to launch this show mm. and get these answers out to people in the world about how to cope with, survive and thrive through the lockdown so that they can have an even better post-pandemic life. Amazing. So this is available to anyone on YouTube? Yep. It's on YouTube and on Facebook, on my Facebook page. Right. And it's also on YouTube and they can find it super easily at thrivetime.tv. Thrivetime.tv. We'll put that in the show notes for sure. And your book that's coming out is, what is it called again? Post-diabetic. I, I don't know what the official full title is at the moment, but it's post-diabetic. It's in editing. Uh -huh. it, I wrote it with one of our, uh, I wrote it with a medical doctor who's also a certified wild fit coach. Yes. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting that out. We were going to go with a, a, a standard publisher, but that takes too long. And now that it's so urgent, we, we're, we're going to do something else and get it out sooner. Awesome. Right. Awesome. Looking forward to that book. I've been speaking with Dr. Ruben and uh, particularly when I was getting, being needed some guidance to assist one, that client that I was telling you about, the diabetic client, and uh, he was an, a wealth of knowledge and, and very, very supportive. All right. So, Eric, we, we are coming to the end of the podcast, but we'd like to ask our guests one question at the end. And um, it is around the awakening, you know, the, the theme of awakening emptiness is awakening to an extraordinary life which you lead so what do you how do you define an awakening soul you know I, I think that awakening is uh, an interesting way of describing it but I think what happens is is that there's a perspective shift that's the awakening and so you know I was asked to speak at a school once to children and try to get across to them how time changes as you get older you know when you cross Every, every decade you get older, it seems like the years go faster, you know, and they wanted me to try and explain this to children. And so I did. I said, well, this is the way to think about it is that when the summer vacation first starts, uh, you know, the days are long and plentiful and you don't bother planning. You just have the days. <laughs> but then, you know, once July is over and you kind of go into August, you start going, holy crap, we're halfway. We better. And then you start taking the days more seriously. You start trying to get more out of them. You start planning the parties instead of having them spontaneous. Mm. And then when you get into that last week of August, the days are just ripping by and school's coming up so soon. And I said to them, August 1st is your 50th birthday. And in the same way, the years right now feel incredibly long and luxurious. Mm. When you get to 50, the years will go by quickly and you want to enjoy them as best you can. And I think that's part of the awakening is realizing that life is short and it's too short to take it too seriously but it's long enough to take it very seriously and trying to find that balance. And, and so I, I always tell people, I really believe that this idea that you have a purpose in life is um, a complicated idea that people have been using to sell stuff for years. And I'll just say it very simply. Everybody has a purpose and that purpose is to enjoy their lives to the absolute maximum that they can. Now they might have projects and missions. They might want to end world hunger. They might want to do all kinds of other things, but at first it has to be filtered through the purpose of enjoying ourselves. And I think that if we do that and really focus on enriching our lives, not at the cost of others, enriching our lives through enriching other people's lives, then everything changes. I am living a quality of life that I can't even, like, I don't, I don't even know how. If I went back to me at 21 and told him the way I would get to live, no, no way he'd believe it. Beautiful. And it so applies to our Empty Nester audience. So thank you so much, Eric. Thank you for your wisdom, for your stories, for you know highlighting to us and to our listeners the importance of looking after our bodies, listening to our minds, 
and enjoying every moment, enjoying you know, that purpose that we each have within us. And we're certain you've awakened the minds, the hearts, the bodies, hopefully, of many of our listeners as to, you know, why and what is possible when we just take that, take that time to reflect and to make a decision to take consistent action towards what we do desire in our life and the bodies we want, the, the health that we want. So if there are any listeners out there who'd like to link up with Eric, What's the best way, Eric? You know, one of the best ways to connect with me is on Instagram. I, I answer my own Instagram comments and threads. I'm at Eric Edmeads. They can also go to uh, www.eric.ee or, of course, getwildfit.com. Amazing. So thank you again, dear listeners. We don't take this time with you lightly. We work every day to be the living examples of everything we teach. We are deeply honored and privileged to have the opportunity to contribute to your life in some way. Yes, this is a great honor and opportunity to deliver information and the fact that you're taking half an hour out of your day today to listen to this podcast, we are humbled by that, that you made the effort. And if you're feeling awakened by any one of our podcasts, please share your experience with us. Reach out and send us an email to podcast at thedreamarchitects.com. You can also join our community on Facebook at Awakening Empty Nesters. Till we return with our next guest, may you be inspired to awaken your body to a higher level of health by opening your world to deeper experience, unconditional contribution and consistent growth and living with a strong ECG life pulse. So it's goodbye from Mark and myself. And again, thank you so very much, Eric, for coming on our show. We are deeply honored. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks all. This is the Awakening Empty Nester podcast. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy what you heard today, share with a friend. And if you have not already done so, please subscribe, rate and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments or feedback for us, you can reach us directly at podcast at thedreamarchitects.com. Looking forward to you joining us on our next show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.